Good to see you. So glad you're here. You know, last Sunday we launched into the new year, had a great, great Sunday morning service, just one service last week. But I'm excited today to get into the new things that God has for us this year. As a matter of fact, in a few minutes, I'm going to start reading from Genesis chapter 1. If you've got your Bible, you might want to go ahead and turn there, Genesis 1. If you don't have a Bible or a Bible on a device, we're going to have scriptures on the screen so you can follow along with us. But I just want to say, while you're turning to Genesis 1, thanks for being here today, especially those of you who might be here for the very first time or you're a visitor, a guest here at the bridge. We really are glad that you're here today. Thanks for joining us for worship. If you have any questions today, stop by the Connection Center out in the lobby. We can answer probably just about any question you might have there. You can also check out our website, thebridgechurch.tv. We're just really glad you're here today. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to be a part of the bridge. Can we put our hands together and just welcome any guests we might have here today? Thanks for being here. Going to begin a series today that's simply entitled, Seriously? Seriously? I mean, you saw on the screen a common text conversation that people might have, and you know, in the middle of the conversation, somebody says, Seriously? Seriously? A few days ago, I had lunch with a pastor friend of mine, and he was telling me a, a big, long story of something that happened in his community with another pastor in another church, really a, a bizarre story. And he's sitting there telling me this story, and I'm looking at him saying, seriously? Seriously? Are you, did that really happen? Seriously? Well, you know, I think sometimes God has conversations with us. God initiates a conversation, and sometimes our response is, Seriously? You know, it, it might go like this. God might say to you, hey, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. I have something special for you. And oftentimes our first response is, seriously? Me? Nah, you, you get the wrong person. Not me. I'm not special. I don't have anything special for you. You must have the wrong purpose. Ser person. Seriously? And God says, yeah, seriously, you Seriously, you know, I think when God says seriously, I think he's meaning business. And I think we ought to probably listen to what he has to say and take him seriously. As a matter of fact, I believe God wants to have that kind of conversation with every one of us. Some of you have already started that conversation because it's a conversation that starts at one point and it just goes on for the rest of your life. God speaking into you the things that he wants to do for you and in you and through you. But if you've never had that conversation, I believe today God wants to start that conversation with you about your plan and your purpose for life. First of all today, let's just talk for a moment about the word purpose. What does the word purpose mean? The dictionary tells us that purpose means the reason something exists. It also means an intended result or a desired result. So today I think the, the bigger question is not what does the word purpose mean. I think the more important question that God wants to ask us each today is what is your purpose in life? And maybe today each one of us, starting with me, we can stop and say, God, what is your purpose, your plan for my life? Some people are on that path, some people aren't. Many years ago, when I was a, a younger minister, 
I went to a conference and there were a lot of very famous ministers who were there, some speakers who were well-known all over the world. And I'll never forget, in one of the morning sessions, this minister got up and spoke. And he's one of these guys who, you know, he doesn't kind of stay with one flow. He, he hits a shotgun point here and a shotgun point there. And, and he has 17 topics before he's finished. And you try to you know, piece it all together when he gets done because he talks about a lot of different things. But the last thing he did, he asked a question. The question he asked was, is there really anything worth dying for? And he went and sat down. And the pastor who was hosting the conference at this large church walked up to the podium and said, Sir, I've got to answer your question. We can't leave that dangling in the atmosphere. And he said, Is there anything worth dying for? The answer is, the only thing worth dying for is the purpose for which you were born. And I think today we could also say the only thing worth living for is the purpose for which God created us. But when we start talking about purpose, a lot of us have many questions. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about purpose. Seriously, your purpose in life. We're going to look at several people from Scripture, how God worked His purposes in their life, how He showed them their purpose, how they walked into it, and how they fulfilled it with God's help. We're going to be looking at several people, but today I want to give you an introduction to purpose. How we begin finding purpose. And we're going to answer three questions today from Scripture. The first question is, does God really have a purpose for me? Seriously. Everybody in this house is probably asking that question. Does God really have a purpose for me? Seriously? Me? Let's look at Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to show you some things about the creation of mankind. Genesis 1, verse number 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Notice those words, our image and our likeness. What he was saying was, let's make man and he will have a great resemblance to God. He goes on to say, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then notice verse 28, the next verse. Then God blessed them. God blessed them. Then next it says, and God said to them. Two things there. God blessed them and God said to them. What did he say? He said, be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth does god really have a purpose for me i think as we begin talking about purpose to lay it out from scripture i think it's really important to go back to the beginning to go back to genesis 1 the creation of man and see what Scripture says about it. There, there, there's a lot in this story, but let me just show you two or three things real quickly before we move to the next point. First of all, you and I, mankind, we were created, male and female, we were created in the likeness and the image of God. When God looked upon mankind, God saw something of himself in his creation. 
Very important you understand that. Now, there may be somebody here in the house today who walks out of here. Maybe you're a guest and you're a visitor and you walk away and you say, oh, those people believe that we're little gods. I didn't say that. Let's look at Scripture, what it says. We were created in the likeness and image of God. When you look at man, you see something of who God is and what God is. It's sad that oftentimes we devalue ourselves. And we look at ourselves and we say, well, you know, there are 300 plus million people in America. I'm just a lost face in the crowd. There's several billion people on the planet. I'm nobody on the face of this earth. How dare any of us stop and say, I am nothing, when God looked at, God looked at us at creation and says, when I created you, I see something of myself in you. We need to stop and understand that our value in life goes back to what God says we are. First of all, God says, I've created you in my likeness and in my image. And second of all, we determine our value by the price that God was willing to pay for us. And God says, you are so valuable to me that I put my own son on a cross to bring you into relationship with me and into my family. That's who you are. That's what you are. You're a part of me. That's God's message to us today. And we need to stop, first of all, and ask the question, okay, if God loves me that much, if God sees himself in me, what do I learn from that? Have you ever stopped and looked at creation? Is there anything that's a part of creation that is not purposeful? Of course not. Everything that God creates, it's for a purpose. It's on purpose, and it's with a purpose. And what God says to us is, come to me, look to me, and I will show you the purpose for which you were born. God created us in his likeness, in his image, with purpose. We also find that when God created mankind, he gave him authority over the earth. He said, take it, subdue it. I give you authority over everything going on on planet earth. And then the next thing that we see that I, I believe is so significant that will help some of you today is it says, God blessed man. God blessed man. There are verses all throughout the Bible, but especially the book of Psalm, where it says, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. We're encouraged to honor God, to bless God. One place says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. But it's interesting that here in Genesis, the word for bless that's used here is the very same expression that's used when we're told to bless the Lord. We have a hard time getting our minds around this. But it says that we're to bless the Lord, but when God created mankind, God blessed them. Now stay with me a moment here. I want you to see this. It's not saying that God knelt down and worshiped man. That's not what it's saying. But God looked upon mankind and he saw something of himself in mankind. He created us in his likeness and image. And when God saw that, he gave him authority over the earth. And then God knelt down, held man close, and blessed him. It's like a mother or a father holds that little baby in their arms and looks at that baby's face and said, Oh, you've got mama's nose. And you've got daddy's ears. And you've got grandpa's eyes. And we hold that child close and we say, oh, it's my likeness. It's my image. Oh, this is precious. It's the same thing. When God creates life, he holds it close and says, you are precious because I see some of myself in you. 
Now, do you think God would do that and then put his own son on a cross to redeem us from sin and create us without purpose? Of course not. God has purpose for each and every one of our lives. God blessed them. Then God said. God gave them instructions. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. Now, I know it's pretty simple to go back to the beginning and look at the picture there. But let's just stop for a moment and realize God has made us unlike any of his other creatures for a purpose. To multiply upon the face of the earth, to subdue the earth through the blood of Jesus Christ to make us new creatures, creations even more in his likeness. But when we understand that, we come back to the thought that God's created us for a purpose. I want you to turn to somebody close to you, just look at them and say, you're here for a purpose. Come on, everybody in the house, you got to turn, even if you're here by yourself, turn to somebody and smile real big like they're your best friend and say, you're here for a purpose. You're here for a purpose. So what's my response to this? How do I respond to this? On January 8th, 2017, how do I respond to this thought? How do I respond to that question? Does God have a purpose for me individually? Yes. But where do I start? Well, I think our first response is we need to be proactive. We need to go back to God's first instructions and ask ourselves the questions, what am I doing with my life? We need to be proactive. We need to get up off of our nothing and start being fruitful. Start being productive. Start working at things to be productive in life. You know, I know Christians who sit around their entire lives and say, well, you know, God's going to do what God's going to do. And so I don't know what God's going to do. Forty years later, well, I don't know what he did yet, but I know he's going to do what he's going to do. God says, I will do what you believe me to do. Get up and let's start doing this thing together. Be proactive. Don't just waste your life. Invest it in God's purpose for you. Then there's a second question, and I'm going to look at Romans chapter 12. But the second question is interesting. What do I have that God needs? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Yeah, I've been in the ministry for over 40 years. I've been doing this since I was a young man. I mean, I... In my late teens, early 20s, I got involved in ministry. But I continually, from time to time, say, God, what is it you're wanting from me? What is it I've got that you want? Everything is my, everything I have is yours. What do you want from me? Romans chapter 12, verse 4 says this. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function... So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Verse 6 says this, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Now, I'm not going to get into the rest of the verse today. We'll save that for another Sunday. But he says, each one of us make up God's people. And he said, we need to use what God has invested in us. I think to understand this, to really put it in context, to grasp this, let me give you three things to think about here. When you read the New Testament, there are basically three expressions that, de that describe 
who we are and what we are and what our function is. I mean, you know, we're God's people, but what does that mean? Well, number one, we are the church. We're the church. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are a part of the church. Even if you aren't a regular part of any particular church, Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you're a part of the church. But what is the church? What is the church? The word church in the original writings literally means those who are called out. The epistles describe it this way. We've been called out of darkness, out of sin, out of the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. We've been called out of darkness into light, into Christ Jesus. We lived in darkness, but now we're in the light. We're living a whole different light altogether. And that's what the church is. When we say this is the bridge church, the name we put it on is the bridge, but we are people who've been called out of darkness. How many can remember days of darkness? Remember those days? How many prefer to be in the light that you're living in today? The light is better. If you've been in the dark, you know the light is better. We've all been in the darkness. Now we're in the light. That's what the church is, people who've been saved by the grace of God and we're now a part of God's people, the church. But then the second expression you commonly see in the New Testament is the family of God. We are the family of God. We're heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, he said, now we're the children of God. You and I are sons and daughters of God. Can I tell you something today? God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. He doesn't have nieces and nephews. He doesn't have cousins. God only has children. If you're in his family, you're a child, you're an heir, you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. If you want to have friends, what does Scripture say you need to do in Proverbs? If you want to, be, if you want to have friends, what do you do? You be friendly. If you want to have friends, you've got to be willing to be a friend. I know people who don't have any friends because they, they don't try to be a friend. And they sit around pouting, well, I wish somebody would be my friend. And everybody else walks by them and says, well, I don't need a friend like you. I need somebody who's happy who wants to be a friend. If you want to be a friend, if you want to have friends, you've got to be willing to be a friend. Well, let me take it one step further. If you want to have spiritual family, you have to be willing to treat people like family. Think about that a moment about that we're called to be the family of God but then the third expression now I don't have time to teach all through this today I'll do it another Sunday but the third expression is this we're called the body of Christ what does it mean to be the body of Christ well let, let me walk you through this Jesus according to scripture is the purchaser of the church he's also the head of the church where is Jesus now this is not super deep. It's a little bit of theology here, but it's not real deep. <laughs> Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Everything Jesus is doing in the earth today, he's doing it by his spirit through people. The head of the body is in heaven, but the body is here on earth. You and I are called to do the works of Jesus in the earth, which brings us to purpose. 
It brings us to a life of purpose. In context here, Paul is saying, you know what? We are the body of Christ. We are members. All of us individually make up the body of Christ. But here's what he says. Just like a human body has many different members with many different functions, it's the same way with the body of Christ. Not all of us are hands. Not all of us are feet. Not all of us are eyes or ears or noses. We each are different things according to the gifts that God has put in us. And depending on what your gifting is, you belong in a different place and you have a different function. Aren't you glad God didn't make us all just alike? Can you imagine how boring it would be? It would be boring. God didn't make us all alike. He made us different. And he gave us different kinds of gifts. And by the Holy Spirit, he gives us different gifts for different purposes. But here's the point that I want you to see today. Paul said we are the body of Christ. So what do I have that God needs? Number one, God needs your attention. He needs your focus. He doesn't need you to just stop and say, well, well, does God have a purpose for me? God also needs to go one step further and say, where does God need me in his body? What are my giftings? Where do I belong? Where can I best function and serve God? Give you an illustration of this today. You know, I mentioned the body with its different members. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote about this very same thing. And Paul said, you know, there's some people that say, well, you know, I don't want to be a hand, I want to be a foot. Or I don't want to be a foot, I want to be a hand. So therefore, since I can't be what I want to be, I'm not going to be a part of the body. Think about that a minute. Or I don't want to be an eye, I want to be an ear. I've always wanted to be an ear. And if I can't be an ear, I'm not going to do anything in the body of Christ. Let's talk about purpose for a minute. Does anybody know what this is? I hope everybody knows what this is. If not, there's this brand new thing called a computer. (laughs) This is a simple laptop computer. It's a few years old now. It's one we've had sitting back in the offices. This computer can do amazing things. This computer can do things that I can't do. It can store up so much memory. It can think so fast. It can process things so many times faster than I can do it. It's amazing what this computer can do. That's the body of Christ. Do you know what this is? I don't want to lose that. That might be important. You know what this is? This is what they call RAM. Random access memory. This goes into a computer. And one of the reasons why that computer can do all that it does is because it has this amazing amount of memory that it can access, bam, just that fast. Yesterday I was riding in the car with Ann. I said, hey, you know, um, um, you know, so-and-so, and and I had to, it took me five minutes to describe who I was talking about because I couldn't remember their name. Does anybody ever have that problem? What, What is that? Computer doesn't have that problem because this memory never fails. It works so fast. It's amazing. But here's what I want you to see. This is you. This is me right here. We're a piece of the computer. I got to tell you something today. This computer, I told you, it's several years old. 
this computer doesn't work right now. It doesn't work properly. Can't use it. Because there's some parts that are missing. Some parts stopped functioning. Somebody asked me a few months ago, uh, we were talking about ministry, and they, they said, how long have you been in the ministry? I said, over 40 years now. And the question they asked me was, as a pastor, what is your greatest disappointment the last 40 years? You know what I told them? It's this right here. It's people that I've never been able to help find their place in the body of Christ. This computer will still do a few things, yet it won't do nearly as much as it could do because there are parts that are either absent or not working. We got a great crowd this morning. We had a good crowd first service. Do you know why this church isn't filled up four or five times a weekend? Because we got too many of these that have not found their place in there. Everybody smile at me this morning. Every one of you, if you're a child of God, you belong somewhere in the church. You have a function. You have a purpose. And you need to quit saying, well, I'm not that person, and I'm not that person, so I don't know who I am. God will show you who you are. He will show you your gifts. And God says, I need what I put in you. I need the gifts and the abilities I put in you, but I don't need lone rangers. I need people plugged into the body, working together so I can reach the world. Amen. Paul said we need to be in place, functioning for the benefit of others. Just like the human body, just like this computer. I'm going to tell you something. There are those of you in this church, there are those of you sitting in this building right now, just sitting on the outskirts saying, you know, I like this church, I like coming here, but you know, there's not really a place for me. Yes, there is. And I'm going to tell you something. I need you. God needs you. Because there are things you can do that I cannot do. And I'm going to tell you, there are heroes in this church. Some people think, well, Pastor Gary, you know, he's the pastor, and Pastor Ann, Pastor Aaron, and Pastor Zach, Pastor Jeremy, Pastor Gore. Those guys are the heroes. No, let me tell you something. Can I tell you who the heroes are of this church? We have a man in our church who's, who's retired. Before he retired, he said, I can't wait till I retire. And I said, well, what are you going to do when you retire? He said, I'm going to be at the church every moment I possibly can doing whatever needs to be done. This guy's up here three, four, five, six, sometimes seven days a week doing everything from moving tables and chairs to driving a truck to pick up food for community care. He will do anything and everything. And I'm going to tell you something. He's not on payroll. This guy's a volunteer. And I think here's a guy who's finding more purpose than 90% of the people in the church ever find. There's a guy in our church who's here almost every single Friday and sometimes on Saturdays, sometimes in the evenings, fixing things in this building that need to be fixed, saving the church money, doing work that a lot of people don't even know how to do, never asks for any credit. He doesn't want anybody to know his name. Those are heroes, people who say, I am this, I have this, but I'm nothing until I get plugged in. But once they get plugged in, we're able to reach twice as many people as we ever reached before. God needs you. God needs you. So many of us suffer from this thing of being insignificant. Oftentimes it's because we don't know God has a purpose for our lives. Second of all, it's because we never get plugged in to figure out where it is God needs us. We need 
everybody in this church. But we cannot fulfill our purpose if we're disconnected from the rest of the body. So what's my response to all this? You need to get connected. You need to get connected. You need to be plugged in church, involved somewhere so that you can make a difference in other people's lives. Third thing, third question, how do I find my purpose? How do I find my purpose? In this series, we're going to be giving you information every single week about how you can find your purpose, fulfill that purpose, looking at different people in the Bible. But this morning, the last part of this message, answering this third question, how do I find my purpose? I'm going to show you where you start, okay? I'm going to read from Mark chapter 8. You might want to turn there real quick if you've got your Bible. Mark chapter 8. But I want to talk to you about how you can find your purpose in life. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. A couple things I want to show you. Verse 34, this is Jesus speaking. Here's what he said. When Jesus had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Verse 35, Jesus said, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. I could spend a lot of time this morning talking about this, but I don't have the time in this message. Several weeks ago, I told the story about how I got into the ministry and how I got started my life of ministry. Jesus said, if you want to know what your purpose in life is really all about, if you really want to be a disciple, if you want to be a difference maker in the world, he said, the first thing you have to do is lay down your life. Lay down your life. Diedrich Bonhoeffer is famous for making the statement, if you want to follow Jesus, the first thing you got to do is die. Sounds pretty gruesome. A lot of people say, well, man, <laughs> count me out of that. I don't want that. I want to live, not die. See, we missed the point. What Jesus is telling us is, and I want you to listen closely to this. Jesus is telling us most of us grow up and become adults and we've had so much poured into our minds from family, from friends, from educational systems that when we get out of high school and we go to college and we get ready to figure out life, most of us have had so many people tell us who we are and what we are that we have no idea. So we start chasing the things that are in our own selfish hearts thinking, well, this is going to satisfy me and make me feel good about myself. Jesus said, you want to be a difference maker? Lay down what you think is your identity and pick up the identity that I have for you. Because selfish pursuits always in, leave you empty looking for more selfish pursuits. I, I, I told the church a few weeks ago, I'll make it fast, but when I grew up, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I had no idea. But, you know, my parents came from the farm in Oklahoma, very simple lifestyles. And my dad was a mechanic, had his own gas station. My mom worked a job. And 
they grew up saying, we, we want you to have a better life. And so my mom one day, she knew that I loved cars and loved watching my dad and what he did. And she said, you know, maybe you ought to be a, a mechanical engineer. I said, okay, great. I love cars. I'll be a mechanical engineer. So I started going through school. I got to high school. And every time somebody would say, what are you going to be when you grow up? I said, I'm going to be a mechanical engineer. I didn't know what a mechanical engineer was. <laughs> That's what I'm going to be. And I took mechanical drawing in high school. I hate mechanical drawing. I was so bad. I mean, I, I wish I could do it. It's cool, but I, I was horrible at it. In one semester, I realized I do not want to be an engineer of any kind. Too much detail for me. That's not my calling. So I, my later high school years, I began to say, okay, what comes easy to me? I've got these gifts. The one talent I had above all else was God blessed me with the singing voice. So... I started singing in church, singing in the choir, started traveling as a teenager with a group of men in a, in a gospel group, and God opened some doors, and things began to happen, and I had some new opportunities come my way, and man, I was loving it, and I'd made the decision, I'm going to be a gospel singer. I went to Nashville, Tennessee. I thought, this is it, man. I've got it all figured out. I got there and realized this is not really what God created me for. Came home, laid down my life, and said, okay, God, I've tried to figure it out. I've missed it somewhere. Whatever you want, I'm in. Over the next two weeks, God turned me inside out and helped me to understand he created me to preach his gospel. I grew up never wanting to preach the gospel because I knew if I preach the gospel, God will send me to the Congo in Africa. I'll die a martyr, and I'll be floated down the river in the alligators. I'll be crocodiles me. <laughs> never wanted to preach. But I found out that my purpose has left me empty. God had something more. I'll never forget the night at my home church, kneeling in the side corner all by myself. I just knelt down and said, God, whatever it is, I'm in. I, I don't want to do that anymore. It's easy. I can make a living at that, but there's got to be something more profitable in life. God called me to preach. He led me into my purpose, which is being an ongoing conversation for years and years and years. Why, why am I sharing this with you today? Some of us never find our purpose because we're not willing to lay down what comes easy to us. We're never willing to say, okay, God, if you've got another plan, I'll lay down my plan. Can I tell you something today? God's plans for your life are a thousand times better than your own plans for your own life. Because your plans are what you can do naturally God's plans are what you can do naturally and what his spirit can do supernaturally through you. And I'm going to tell you something. When God puts his super on your natural, it's amazing what God can do. Jesus said, lay your life down and you'll find it. But if you hang on to that life, you'll lose the life of purpose that I have for you. And then another thing that we see in the life of Jesus if you've got time, turn to Luke 4 real quickly. I'm going to move fast here. I'm almost finished. Time's almost gone. But in Luke chapter 4, we see the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And I'm going to walk you through this real fast. And I want you to catch this. When Jesus is born, several things happen. We talk about this at Christmas time. You know, you've got Mary and Joseph. They go to Bethlehem. They're, he's born in a manger. The shepherds come. The angels are there. All this stuff. Later on, probably two years later, the wise men show up. And then they go to Egypt and they come back to Israel. And then it's, it's silent. Nothing said about Jesus until he's 12 years old. 
And we know the story of Jesus going into the temple and staying there. And his, his family went home from Passover and they couldn't find him. They went back looking for him. And Jesus says to his parents, his earthly parents, at 12 years of age, he says, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? What he was saying was, don't you know I'm pursuing the father's purpose for my life? At 12 years old. And then you don't hear anything else about Jesus for 18 years. And then all of a sudden, at 30 years of age, Jesus walks down the riverbank. John the Baptist is there. John baptizes him. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. And John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then Jesus launches into his ministry at 30 years of age. But the first thing that happened, as soon as Jesus is baptized, Luke chapter 4 says, he went into the wilderness. Now I'm going to read it to you. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. A lot of times when you read those scriptures, what you hear is Jesus was led into the wilderness because he had to be tempted by the devil. But that's not how it's worded. Let me walk you through this. Jesus is about to launch into his purpose on earth. In three years, Jesus is about to change the course of history. He's going to change the course of eternity. In three years. At 30 years of age, it's time to begin his ministry. He's baptized, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and then he goes into the wilderness to do what? To prepare to launch his ministry. It's during that time, for 40 days, he eats nothing. It's what fasting is. It's really eating nothing. He drank water, I'm sure, stay alive, but he ate nothing for 40 days. Why? Because he wanted to be alone with the Father and set the course for his purpose in life. During that time of fasting, the devil came. The first thing he hit him with was, hey, if you're hungry, turn those rocks into bread. He gave him the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, everything that is sin and wrong. He threw it at Jesus, and Jesus threw the word of God back at him. But Jesus was not there just to be tested the devil to overcome him. Satan always comes and attacks us when he sees God's purposes begin to develop in our lives. So we get this backwards. Jesus went to the wilderness to prepare to launch his ministry because he wanted to separate himself from all the things of the flesh, all distractions, and he wanted to know the heart and the will of the Father. People say, well, yeah, but Jesus was God, but he was also man. He lived in a body like you and me. He had a brain like you and me. Jesus went to prepare himself to invest the rest of his life in saving mankind. He got alone with God. He fasted and he prayed. Beginning Wednesday night, for the Wednesday nights, the rest of this month, we're going to have a time of prayer here at the church every Wednesday night from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock. We're going to come lay our lives down for God's purposes. We're going to seek God, what he wants to do in our individual lives, what he wants to do for us as a church, what he wants to do through us as a church. We're going to pray. We're going to seek God that his kingdom would come and his will would be done. I'm inviting everybody to come join us. Child care will be provided Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock from 7 to 8. But I'm also 
inviting people today to join us, our staff, in fasting the next three weeks. Starting tomorrow, for three weeks until the last Sunday of this month, I'm inviting you to fast with us. Maybe you can't fast every day. Most people can't. Maybe you can fast one meal a day or two meals a day. I'm asking you to fast, to set aside your food, because the one thing that grips your life, your physical life, more than anything else is your appetite. When you get hungry, what do you do? You eat, because the body wants it. Lay that aside and take that eating time and spend it with God in his word, saying, God, show me my purpose for your life. Show me what it is to see your kingdom come and your will be done in me. It says, when Jesus left the wilderness, he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And then he went to this village, and then the next village, in the next place. And then he went to his own hometown. He walked in on the Sabbath day. He opened up the book of Isaiah and began to read, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me too. And then Jesus described his mission, closed the book, and then set out. In the next three years, he poured out his life until it was all spent on mankind, ending at the cross. During his ministry, you see that Jesus went from time of prayer to time of prayer to time of prayer. And in between those prayer meetings with God, he did miracles and worked the works of God. In the early church, you see the same thing. They went from prayer meeting to prayer meeting to prayer meeting. And in between, they saw the works of God poured out in their lives. His purpose was fulfilled in people when they laid down their lives and fasted and prayed and sought God's will for their lives. As you look at the ministry of Jesus and the life of Jesus, 12 years of age, he knew, Father has a will for me. You can know it too. If you look at his ministry, there were times when he said, no, I won't go to Jerusalem right now because my time hasn't come. Because the day will come when I go to Jerusalem at that God-ordained moment, I will lay down my life. But I'm not going to go there and do that until it's God's time. He knew the cross was his purpose. But in closing this morning, there's a couple of things that you see about Jesus and his purpose that I want to tell you. He went from village to village, town to town, area to area, preaching the gospel, performing the miracles that God gave him. And we see that purpose is not a portrait. It's a mural. It's scene to scene to scene. It's day by day by day. You don't fulfill it in a moment. It takes a lifetime to fulfill your, prop, your purpose. It's a process. The next thing you see is that purpose costs something. You've got to lay down your selfishness and pick up the cross that God has for you. It's interesting. Jesus called it pick up your cross. He's not saying you need to go die for people's sins. He already did that. What he's saying is there's a purpose for you. Jesus' purpose was the cross. You and I have a purpose of our own. He says, pick it up. You want to know what life's about? Pick it up and carry it. You'll see how many people you influence in this lifetime. It cost Jesus his lifeblood. But the last thing is, purpose has amazing rewards. We'll be showing it to you the next few weeks in different people's lives. Jesus was willing to lay down his life and give everything for you and for me. He went to the cross and took everything that was wrong with us on that cross so he could pour everything that was right about him into our lives. A great exchange. The 
one thing you find at the end of his life is he became the firstborn among many brethren. Because of Jesus, millions of people have joined the family of God, received forgiveness of their sins and eternal life. First John chapter 3, John said, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. It wasn't one scene, it was a process of scenes. Closing this morning, how do I respond to this? How, how do I respond to Jesus saying, lay down my life? How do I respond to Jesus saying, come and seek God, fast and pray, hear from God? How do I respond to that? Pretty simple. Get alone with God. See what he has to say. Seek God. Seek God. It's amazing how many people you find, even in churches, living empty lives because they've never discovered their purpose and plugged in to God's plan. I want to pray for you this morning. And I really want to pray a twofold prayer. First of all, I'm sure in a crowd this side, there's probably a few people in this room today, I don't know how many. Maybe you've never committed your life to God. Maybe you've never said, I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to receive Jesus as my Savior. Maybe you've never even heard how much Jesus loves you. Can I tell you that God loves you so much he put his own son on a cross to die for your sins? And he today is knocking on the door of your heart saying, I want you to be mine. I want you to join my family. I want to come into your heart and begin to change everything from the inside out if you'll just let me. He extends that offer of grace, but we have to open up our hearts and say, yes, Lord, by faith, I need you and I want you. I'm going to lead you in that prayer. And then I want to pray another prayer for everybody in this place to begin to pursue and find our purpose. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. First part of this prayer, I want to ask everybody here to pray this prayer with me. You don't need to scream it, but everybody here, right out loud, even if you've already made Jesus the Lord of your life, it'll help those around you as they pray. Let's pray together. Say, God, I need you. And I open my heart to you. Please come into my life. Change me from the inside out. Give me a purpose to live for. I give my life back to you. I accept Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I want the fullness of the life you have for me. So I make the exchange today. From this moment forward, God, you're my father, and I'm your child because of Jesus. While your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, let me pray one more prayer for you. Just wrap your heart around these words. Father, as I pray for this congregation of people today, I'm not praying just for a group. I'm praying for every individual here today. God, help us to know today you created us for purpose. You do have a purpose for each one of our lives. Father, help us, second of all, to understand we have gifts. We have abilities. We have talents. We have things that you've put in us that you want us to give back to you. And we have a place in your body. Father, help us to find that place. Plug in. Become the body of Christ. Third of all, Father, for those who are struggling today, saying, I don't even know where to start. Father, I pray today we make a commitment to you, starting today, to start spending time with you, just saying, God, show me what my life is about. Help me understand what you have for me 
Am I an eye? Am I an ear? Am I a nose? Am I hands? Am I feet? What am I? Father, help us to know what we are. Begin to discover that purpose that we can fulfill it. Become everything you want us to be. For I ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody says,